Thank you for joining me for Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas, and this is the podcast where we put our article content in an audio format. So you can listen to the podcast as you are doing now, and you can go on our website, rickthomas.net, and you can read a full transcript of this podcast. The title of the podcast is An Interview with a Victim of Adultery. I want to do something a little different in this podcast. I want to have an interview. I'm going to ask the questions and and provide the answers. My friend Biff is the one that I will be interviewing. Biff has gone through an adultery, an adultery situation. He is many years on the other side of it now, and I wanted to interview him to get his perspective on what it's like to go through adultery. Adultery is a form of death that causes a grief like like something died or someone died. In a way, there was a death. The difference is that there can be a resurrection of the marriage, but that does not change the grief, meaning adultery does not have to be the end of the road. It doesn't have to be the end of the marriage. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not, but in either case, it is a form of death. And Biff wants to talk about that in that podcast. And so I have a series of questions that I have outlined here, and then I'll provide the answers according to Biff, and I trust it will benefit you. And it will probably encourage you or help you no matter what kind of suffering you are going through because there is similarity with suffering, and I think you will appreciate this. If you are going through adultery, I really hope it helps you. It is something impossibly hard to get your mind around, and it is a torment of the soul that is deep and long-lasting. If you are thinking about, tempted to commit adultery, then please listen. Give this a listen. The reverberation, the residual effect of adultery is generational, and if you're going to do that, I hope that you will listen to this podcast and may God change your mine. If you want to talk about this, please go on our forums, and it would be a pleasure to chat with you. We have public forums for anyone in the world if you want to talk. You can talk about this, or you can talk about anything else that you would like to chat about, and it would be our privilege to serve you that way. That's what our forums are for. We have a team of folks there, and they will answer your questions, give you direction the best they can. We also have private forums for our supporting members, and so if you do support our ministry, please go on the private forums and click on the sub-forum that says, Talking Direct to Rick and his team. I'll be there. My team will be there, and it will just be us chatting with you and no one else. Many of our supporting members uh, like that feature. Let me take just a moment, too, if you would be willing. We need your support. Our ministry continues to grow, and the demands continue to grow with it, and it is with the support of those who benefit from our ministry and want to support it that makes all of this happen. You can support our ministry for as little as $5 a month or $50 a year and anything above that. Pastor, would you be willing to support this ministry, your local church, on a monthly or annual basis. We are a missional ministry as the Lord takes our resources 
into every country in the world, and he has been doing that for a number of years. You can think of us like missionaries. We come alongside the body of Christ to help them to mature, and God is doing a good work here, and we could use your support. Would you talk to the leadership, to the right people, and and pray about our ministry being one of the ministries that you support? So if you all could do that and most definitely pray that others would come along and help us, and it would be fantastic. This is a true story. Again, the title, Interview with a Victim of Adultery. I'll ask the questions, and then Biff will be talking. It will be me, but I'll give you Biff's answers. Here's question number one. Why are you willing to grant me this interview? Biff says, I don't think people give a lot of thought to the victims of abuse, not just those who have gone through adultery, but any kind of suffering. The abuse I'm talking about here is adultery, but there are all sorts of hurtful things that happen to people, and you rarely hear their voices, how they think about it, how they're processing it, what they are going through. Rick asks, So are you an advocate for the hurting? Is that your primary reason for talking with me? Yes and yes. I am advocating, and that is my main reason. I think I'm over what happened to me, as as much one can be over such a thing. But often think about others who are going through pain in Hebrews 13:3 it says remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body of course the hebrew writer is talking about a literal prison but there is a prison of sorts for those who have gone through any kind of suffering and i would say that i am and advocate for those I want to think about them who are going through pain and and even try to mobilize my mind and my behavior so that I can help them. We read a lot about David's confession of adultery in Psalm 32 and also the entire psalm in chapter 51, but we do not have a lot of information on those he hurt. What about them? Now, don't take me wrong, I love David and believe he was one of the most exceptional people in the Bible as far as an example of passion for the Lord. But all the chatter is mostly about what he did as far as his sin is concerned rather than the victims. What about the victims? What about his wife or his children? His actions hurt them, but we are unsure how they process through it except to say the sword never left his family, as, as we read in Second Samuel 12, verse number 10. Then there is Uriah, the man who lost the most because of David's sin. It was Bathsheba, his wife, that David committed adultery with. Now, I realize the point of the Bible is not to give us all the details about the personal lives of all the people in the Bible, I suppose I'm just using it as an analogy to make a point about the victims of abuse. Even in our churches, we can sensationalize those who sin, but 
not talk to the hurting souls who were devastated by those sins. It's like a tornado rampaging a town, leaving shattered and ruined lives in its wake, and years later, what we remember and talk about is the tornado of 72. That is probably a weak illustration, but it is what I think about when when people hurt people. Rick asked, Was that your story? Were you left to work through your pain? For the most part, it was. How did you get through it? Probably silently is the best answer that I can give you. What do you mean? Being a victim of adultery is like having cancer, I think. It is something you bear alone. Even the best words and kindest expressions from others, though well-intended, cannot resolve the depths of the pain that it causes. I honestly don't think there is anything anyone can say to make adultery better. That's not how you make it better. It doesn't heal by words. That is what I would like to say to all those who have, been, who have committed adultery or even those who are playing with the temptation that it is painful, is more painful than you could ever imagine. And if you, if you have committed adultery, it's important for you to think about those you have hurt. Or if you're thinking about it, I would appeal to you to not do it. What would you like to say to them? that you have no clue to the amount of pain and devastation you have brought into people's lives. It's like my tornado illustration earlier. You may think about what you have done to others, but you do not understand. The wound you rip in the heart of the victims of adultery is deep, it's broad, and in some ways it is inconsolable. Do you mean the victim of adultery as opposed to all the victims from one adulterer? No, I mean many victims from one act of an adulterer. A tornado goes through one town, but it it destroys the lives of many people. Adultery has a ripple effect. Every individual connected to the infidelity is affected in some way. David's entire family, as well as Uriah's whole family, plus the whole nation of Israel, went through change by one man's selfish act. There are always multiple victims of one person's adultery. Though the victim's spouse may be in the epicenter of the action, there is still collateral damage. How would you describe the pain in the epicenter? That is a great question. I have thought about it for years. The best description I can give you is that of an amputee who is one who reaches down to scratch his itch only to realize again that he has no leg. I hardly understand what I just said. But I do know what I would like to say. It is an indescribable pain that seems to have no remedy. If you were to cut your finger or break your arm, you would know who to call, where to go, and what needs fixing. You would know what to do. 
There is no fixing adultery, at least not entirely, just like there is no complete fixing for the amputee. Though he can enjoy life, he will always be reminded in different ways and at different times of his limp. It is unavoidable. How do you limp today? Probably the biggest thing is trusting the Lord. That's how I limp. What do you mean? Well, we believe in God, right? We trust that God can do all things. We understand that God loves us, protects us, and has good things in store for us, right? Yeah, you're right. So I guess when you try to connect living in heaven to living on this planet, you struggle. Would that be fair? Biff answers precisely. I think I duped myself into believing that becoming a Christian meant things would be better for me. And they have been, don't get me wrong. I do not regret at all God saving me. It was the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. By a long shot, please understand what I'm saying. I am so grateful. I'm profoundly grateful for God coming into my life, regenerating me, imposing himself on me, as Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 2. God raised me up from the dead, and I would never want to minimize what God did for me by saving me and adopting me into his family. The problem for me was that I did not realize I was still in a war and there were enemies of my soul. You read 1 Peter 5, 8, where Peter said, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. Rick asked, I think you could say that applies to all Christians? Yes. What were some of the keys that helped you work through the aftermath of adultery? For me, it was a matter of starting points, as in, where do you start? In my view, the starting point has to be with God, which means the Lord was in my adultery. He was there. Shoot, he knew it was going to happen in eternity past if you want to go that far back. Being omniscient as he is, God knows everything. That gives you kind of an intellectual advantage, don't you think? Rick asks or replies, oh yeah, I, I know. So if God was in it, so to speak, I, I must make peace with that and with him. The adulterer destroyed my life, but God was there. Now, putting those two things together and being at peace with them, well, that was the hardest, but the most important thing for me to do. That is a tall order. How did you do that? It boils down to how I think about and live out the gospel in my life. Now, I know that sounds trite or maybe like a cliche, but it is true. I had to go back and rethink the gospel and what it means to me. Okay, I'm in. Tell me more, Rick says. The gospel is about transformation. 
in the beginning, the gospel comes to us to regenerate us, as I said in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. But that is not the end of the gospel's work in our lives. The gospel is about finishing what it begins, not just salvation, but finishing our sanctification. You remember in Philippians 1, 6, that Paul said, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When the Lord first came into my life, he did not get a good deal or a gift in excellent condition. What he got were damaged goods. I was an imperfect person who got saved, and after my regeneration, there was work to do. I guess you could say it would be like buying a beater, you know, an old car, an old, an old automobile from a salvage yard. The Lord picked this beater from the junkyard and brought him home. That was me. The buying part may have cost him a lot of money, the death of his son on the cross. That's an infinite price. That infinite God paid to get this old beater, but the restoration of the beater well, it's not it's not an easy task either. So I guess we're all beat up and worn out cars, right? Yeah, that would be fair. And that is what I needed to remember. I cannot look back on my pre-adultery victim life and say I was in good shape and did not require any adjustments. I was probably in worse condition than I realized. Well, let me take that back. Of course I was. Only omniscient Lord could search my heart and know me fully, thoroughly, and without error. You know, in Hebrews 14, uh, Hebrews 4.13, it says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I suspect he looked at me and in me and thought, we got some work to do. It, it's kind of like when he said, let us make man in our image in Genesis 1.26. That has always been his goal for human, uh, humanity, for us to be like him, to be perfect image bearers. The problem came in chapter 3, verse number 6, in the form of a serpent. When sin entered our world and our lives, we all were heading to hell in a handbasket. When the Lord said that they, the Trinity, wanted to make us in their image, that seems to mean he would do whatever it took for however long it needed to take to finish what he began way back then. It was the kindness of God that has been leading to my ongoing change and adultery, please listen to what I'm saying, adultery was part of his goodness to me. Now, I could not always say that, but I see it now. He has changed me in some wonderful ways through the indescribable pain of adultery. Rick asks, then it becomes a question of who gets to choose how they that change takes place and what means the Lord's, Lord wants to employ to bring about that change? That would be correct. Does the thing formed say to him who formed it that you have to do it this way or 
That way, you know I'm quoting Romans 9.20, and Rick says, that sounds familiar. The key to changing, at least for me, was to accept what Sovereign Lord was allowing into my life. When I did, it was no longer about the adulterer, the offender who destroyed my life, but the Lord who wanted to give me something better than I could have on my own. This new way of thinking about adultery is is how I had to come to terms with the gospel. Now, I know it sounds so elementary to you, but it was where I was at the time. Jesus had to die on the cross for many good things to happen. I had to die to many things for me to make any redemptive value to myself or for others. Now, once I got to that place in my thinking, I was on the right track and things began to look up for me. Did that happen immediately? I mean, once your mind was reoriented to the kind of practical gospel living that you're talking about, did things begin to change for you? Biff responds, that is an interesting question. I guess I could say things did change immediately, but the feeling of change and the ultimate reality of change or the practical reality of change were still years in the future. In John 12, 24, Jesus talked about a seed that goes into the ground and dies. He says that after it dies, that it will bring a lot of fruit. That is how it was for me. The seed died, which was a change of sorts. It went from life to death, so there was change. It died. It perished in the darkness of the cold and unforgiving ground. That was the only kind of change you experience in the beginning. When heartbreak comes into your life, you feel like you're perishing, dying, placed in the dark slot of life. Nobody knew about the change that I was going through, and I was not enjoying any of the benefits of dying to myself. I just felt dead. And in some ways, I was. But in my heart of hearts, I knew I had changed and that there would be more change to come. Now, I'm not exactly sure how to say it, but the truth is that something happened as I came to terms with the gospel. That text is John 12, 24, where Jesus was talking, and he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains, remains alone. But if it dies, it bears forth much fruit. So you could say that when my wife committed adultery, I changed. The change was death. And over a long period of time, I began to slowly grow and come up through the sod like a normal plant does. But nobody could see it. Nobody knew about it. I knew something was happening, but I didn't know where I was going. I knew that I was being transformed. I knew that God was killing me, that I was taking up my cross and following him. It was unexpected. It was painful. It was slow and arduous, and the fruit of it came many years later. And that's the message that a lot of victims have a hard time sorting out in their minds. They can change. They are changing now, even though it may be imperceptible to them, but there will be some day that they will look backward and 
and they will see all that growth. In my heart of hearts, I knew I had changed, but there would be more change to come. I'm not exactly sure how to say it, but something did happen. I did have to come to terms with the gospel. Rick responds, wow, that is a powerful illustration. Would you say that you are back today? Well, I think that I'm back, but it is more than being back. It's being different. You don't want to just come back. You don't want to be the old person that you were. You want to be a different kind of person. So I am back, but not the old Biff that is back. I mean, I would not want to waste the Lord's suffering that he brought into my life. I don't want to be just back, but I, I want a transformed life. If I am going through all of this, then I want to be a different kind of human being, a better kind, a Christ-like human. I don't want to drown in my anger and pity and bitterness and criticalness and cynical attitude. I took on all of those things at one time, but God was slowly, incrementally killing me. I would say that that is what the Lord has done for me. The primary thing is that he has changed me. I'm not perfect. I still walk with a limp. You remember what happened to Jacob. And so I still limp through life. I'm still an amputee missing a leg, but God has changed me. Adultery has been the most profound and transforming tragedy the Lord has allowed into my life. I never, ever want to go through that again. But I would say at the same time that I never, ever want to lose or waste the redemptive value that it has brought to me. It reminds me of Jesus who was able to balance two wonderful truths. In Isaiah 53.3, it says that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But we also know at the same time he was stable and satisfied with who he was and who he would follow. He said that in John 6:38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so while he simultaneously walked as a man of sorrow acquainted with grief, he was riveted to the will of his father and found no greater satisfaction than serving him. That is how I think about the worst thing that has ever happened to me. And that is the end of the interview. The title of this interview is An Interview with a Victim of Adultery. Now, let me give you what you don't know, but you may have already surmised. I was interviewing myself. I am the victim of adultery. It happened during a season, about a year or more during 1988. I experienced all of these things, and it totally dismantled me from the ground up. 
God had regenerated me four years earlier, and as I said in the interview, I thought my life would be different after God saved me. Well, it is different, but I did not realize what I had to go through in order to be transformed. And no, I'm not perfect even to this day, but I have matured greatly and and largely because what God has done for me, and I would say done for me through the adultery, I mean. And I would say that this ministry is grounded and founded on in part to that major transformative experience that the Lord gave me. There is a a smell of death and there is an echo of suffering that reverberates throughout our ministry and it resonates with so many people because so many people are going through difficult times, whether it's being the victim of adultery or some other challenging time. They are hurting, they are victims, They're struggling, and they're trying to get their mind around it all. And I remember those days, and I told the Lord that I I never want to forget those days in a good way because I want to remember his redemptive purposes through me, the things that he worked into my life. If you need to chat about this, we would love to talk to you. If you are suffering and going through a hard time, we can't change it. No, we can't change anything in your life or your relationships, but we will be a friend to you. By the grace of God, we will never turn anyone away. We'll help every person that comes to us. And so to go to rickthomas.net and jump on our forums and ask your questions, and somebody will, somebody from this ministry will respond to you, and we'll do all that we're able to do to serve you. If we can help you in any other way, please let us know that too. That's what we do. It is our life and our joy to serve. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.